Welcome to our noon webinar. We are so happy to have Jennifer Gimler-Brady from Potter Anderson and Karoon with us today. She's going to give us an overview of the list of excluded individuals and entities, the LEIE. Jennifer? Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks to my friends at uh, First Healthcare Compliance for having me uh, speak this afternoon. I'm going to be speaking about the list of excluded individuals and entities, and uh, I thought I would start with a little background uh, about the LEIE, or the, the list of excluded individuals. Uh, the list started in uh, 1977 when Congress um, mandated the exclusion of health care pro uh, providers who were convicted of program-related crimes against the Medicare and Medicaid programs. Uh, later, um, a few years later, the Office of Inspector General was authorized to impose CMPs or civil money penalties, uh, other assessments, and program exclusions against individuals who submitted false claims or fraudulent um, or other types of improper reimbursement claims to the Medicare and um, Medicaid programs. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1995 and also the Balanced Budget Act of 1997 further expanded the scope of exclusion authority uh, beyond Medicare and Medicaid programs to all federal health care programs or FHCPs. That would include things like TRICARE, veterans programs, uh, etc. So really any type of health care uh, program that is uh, administered or overseen by the federal government is now uh, falls within the scope of the list of excluded individuals. The Balanced Budget Act also gave uh, the government new civil money penalty authority against health care providers who enter into contracts with or otherwise employ an excluded individual. Uh, uh, to provide services that may be reimbursed under a federal health care program. So the point of the list, uh, if a provider engaged in some type of misconduct related to a federal health care program, the um, government had the authority, has the authority, to put them on a list of excluded providers and uh, in eventually uh, the law uh, provided that it, people who employ or contract with an excluded provider could likewise be sanctioned under the uh, LEIE authority. The Affordable Care Act uh, has further expanded uh, the scope of the LEIE by giving the uh, Office of Inspector General the authority to waive certain uh, listings of excluded individuals, but also added a provision that um, subjects an excluded individual to liability if he orders or prescribes an item or service while he is on excluded on the exclusion list and he knows that that claim there will be a claim submitted to a federal health care program seeking reimbursement for that item or service so it's further expanding the liability of individuals who are included on the exclusion list so what does it mean if you are included on the exclusion list? Well, the effect of an exclusion is that no federal health care program payment 
can be made for any items or services that are either provided by an excluded person or are provided at the direction or on the prescriptive authority of an excluded person. That means that uh, anyone who is on the list essentially cannot provide either directly or indirectly any service that might be subject to a reimbursement claim that traces back to a federal health care program. The exclusion in payment prohibition continues, it, it stays with the person who is on the list regardless of their uh, position in the healthcare profession, uh, meaning that the exclusion travels with them. For if you have someone, say, who is both a uh, pharmacist who happens to be going to med school, and during the term of their exclusion, they become a physician, the exclusion, if it originated while they were a pharmacist, follows them into their new employment uh, as, a, uh, as a physician during the period of exclusion. And that is how individuals are included on the list. When they have been added to the LEIE, it is for a period of time. So it doesn't really matter what role you play in the healthcare profession while you are on the excluded list. Any services that you provide cannot be reimbursed by a federal healthcare program. An excluded provider can refer patients to another provider uh, who is a non-excluded provider as long as the provider who is on the exclusion list doesn't have anything to do with the services that are provided to the patient, meaning that the excluded provider can't consult, can't furnish services, and can't uh, participate in any of the billings for services that are provided to a patient that the excluded provider refers. Uh, and it really, it doesn't matter um, whether the non-excluded provider handles uh, all of the, the patient care and independently bills. The, non, the excluded provider cannot participate in the provision of care or in the billings in any fashion while they're on the exclusion list. The prohibition on federal health care program payment doesn't just... Uh, pertain to direct patient care, however. Uh, it also extends to excluded individuals who work for or under arrangement with a hospital, a nursing home, a home health care agency, a hospice agency, or a managed care entity, regardless of whether there is separate billing or a bundled payment. The issue is whether the excluded person is providing any of the services that are being requested, for which reimbursement is being requested. So even if it's a bundled payment, um, a set payment, regardless of, of the scope and nature of the services, if an excluded provider is providing those services, it may not be submitted for reimbursement to a federal health care program. That also extends uh, to roles within a healthcare organization. An excluded individual cannot serve in an executive or leadership role for a healthcare provider that provides services that are payable by a federal healthcare program, meaning that an excluded person cannot serve as the CEO or the chief financial officer, general counsel, the director of health information management, the director of human resources or practice manager. Anybody who's really in a position to control the operations or direct the operations of a healthcare provider 
may not uh, be an excluded individual if that provider is seeking reimbursement for services through a federal health care program. So if an excluded person submits a claim for reimbursement to a health care program while they are on the exclusion list, the penalties can be pretty severe. Uh, they can be subjected to a civil money penalty of $10,000 per service or um, per item, plus a three times that amount of the claim uh, penalty. These items can be very significant because anybody who's familiar with healthcare billing knows that you can have uh, a single claim for service could have multiple subparts. And the authority of the OIG is to that each of those individual subparts can be fined at three times the amount of that um, claim associated with that, that particular subpart. So you can imagine that the monetary penalties for uh, wrongful claims can be very substantial, and these are intended to be uh, penalties that would dissuade somebody from engaging in this type of conduct. So they can, they can add up very quickly. You can also be subject to, um, deny, uh, to a denial of reinstatement. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when you're listed on the uh, LEIE, it's for a set period of time, and then um, you can be reinstated. But if you engage in wrongful conduct while you're on the list, that is most likely going to result in you being denied reinstatement. Plus, the additional hammer that has developed over time is that you can be subjected to criminal prosecutions as well as separate civil actions beyond the civil money penalties that can be imposed. So the, the sanctions can be rather serious. Uh, I should note that exclusion does not necessarily mean that an excluded provider cannot have an ownership interest in a provider that uh, participates in a federal health care program, but it is risky. For example, if you have a physician partnership and one of the partner physicians is a sanctioned provider, in addition to making sure that that physician does not provide services either directly or indirectly that are reimbursed through a federal health care program, the partnership needs to be mindful of the ownership interest of that particular partner because it could impugn the entire partnership if that ownership is uh, greater than 5%. An ownership level of greater than 5% is going to get on the uh, government's radar screen potentially. So uh, if there's if a, an excluded person owns a, a greater interest than that. As I also mentioned earlier, the balanced budget Act expanded the authority um, to uh, sanction with CMPs providers who employ or enter into contracts with excluded persons. And so if a healthcare provider does uh, engage a, an excluded individual to provide services um, that ultimately will be the subject of a claim for reimbursement to a federal healthcare program, and that person either directly or indirectly provides those services, the provider can be uh, uh, sanctioned with a civil money penalty, uh, again, of up to $10,000 per item of service, uh, plus the uh, three times the amount claimed penalty and program exclusion. And that's more problematic for a multi-provider uh, entity if the entire provider uh, group is 
put on the sanction list. That means all of the uh, healthcare providers who provide services under that entity are likewise tainted with that exclusion. So it's a pretty serious uh, uh, penalty if the provider entity gets placed on the healthcare um, exclusion list. And it doesn't matter whether or not the excluded person actually receives payment from the provider for his or her, her services. The sanctioning authority is designed to dissuade a provider entity from employing anybody on the sanction list to provide uh, services that might be reimbursed through a health care provider, uh, through a health federal health care program. It doesn't matter whether the excluded person actually receives payment for his or her services. So the bottom line is excluded persons should not provide any services that might be payable by a federal health care pro, uh, program regardless of the relationship with the provider. So what is the LEIE? Uh, we've talked about how you can get on the list um, and what some of the sanctioning authority is, but what is the actual list and how does it work? The Office of Inspector General maintains the LEIE on its website and it can be accessed um, through oig.hhs.gov slash exclusions. And the LEIE comes in two forms. It can be accessible through a searchable online database or um, someone who needs to be aware of uh, LEIE status can download data files and search at their leisure uh, by um, uh, having access to these data files uh, whenever they would like. We're going to talk about some limitations with that shortly though. The exclusions page on the OIG website does contain some helpful quick tips on how to use the exclusion list and how to search it. Um, some uh, frequently asked questions about the exclusions program, uh, information for providers as to how to apply for reinstatement, and other general information about the program exclusion. It's, it's a fairly informative uh, website. If um, you are in need to, of searching the database. The online version contains the name of the individual at the time of exclusion, the provider type, the statutory basis for exclusion. It, it will indicate what the nature of the offense was that led to the individual being excluded, uh, the individual's address, date of birth, and the state where they resided at the time of the exclusion or where the provider entity was doing business at the time of the exclusion and the ability to verify results using social security numbers or employer identification numbers. Uh, the website does not yet have the ability to confirm with national provider identification numbers, but that is coming. And I should note that the, the name of the individual is an important factor because names can change through marriage, through legal name changes. So it's really important that you search the database as thoroughly as possible using the best information that you have available to you. The downloadable data file does not contain social security numbers or EINs, so you don't have that extra verification point if you use the downloadable files. Um, the downloadable file also requires you to periodically update your downloads. The LEIE is dated, updated monthly, so um, if you download the data files today, 
um, within a month they're going to be stale. So you need to make sure that you update your uh, downloads periodically as well. When checking the LEIE, you should make sure that you keep a record of the initial name search that you performed. Again, going to my, uh, back to my point about making sure you use uh, the best available information to conduct your searches. You want to confirm the name that you actually searched in the case there's any question going forward about whether you searched the correct name or whether you have multiple providers uh, like Dr. John Smith uh, that are, are under the same name. You want to show that you were able to try to refine your search um, to, to give you the best possible results based on the information that you have. Um, you can use a third party uh, to perform your LEIE screening and I know that First Healthcare Compliance uh, performs that service for its clients. But uh, I also should mention that the providers retain the ultimate responsibility for the results of those searches and make maintaining uh, timely uh, information. To avoid uh, potential CMP liability, providers are going to uh, need to and want to check the LEIE prior to employing or contracting with persons, with any, any folks and periodically check the LEIE to determine the exclusion status of current employees or contractors. Bear in mind that there is some lag time occasionally. So you may uh, employ a physician, uh, for example, today and, and conduct your LEIE search and that physician comes back with no hits on the, on the database. But six weeks from now, a uh, matter that related to the physician's former employment gets resolved and suddenly the physician is on that uh, LEIE exclusion list. And so it's really important that you not just limit your search to initial employment, but periodically update your searches. Uh, a best practice recommendation is monthly screening uh, to minimize potential overpayments and CMP liability because of that potential lag time and because uh, sometimes you have employees who have multiple um, employments and may work for different employers and a sanction may be imposed relating to another employment and you as the new employer or current employer may not know about it. So it's really important that you update your searches uh, at least monthly. Um, providers in terms of trying to assess their risk spots should look at each job category or contract relationship that they have and determine whether the item or service that's being provided pursuant to that specific job category or under that contractual relationship is either directly or indirectly payable by a federal health care program. If you can trace a service back to um, a claim for reimbursement, um, the, your best bet is to screen all individuals who perform either under the contractual relationship or in that job category. So anything that might ultimately tie back to a reimbursement claim to a federal health care program, anyone associated with that service or item should be screened periodically. Obviously, the greatest risk is to those people who provide items or services that are integral to patient care. That is the most direct connection to a federal health care reimbursement claim. Providers who are subject to exclusion can be granted waivers 
in very limited circumstances. For example, if you're talking about the sole community physician, uh, the only physician who per in the community who provides that particular service, or the only provider who provides an essential service to within a community can get a waiver, but the individual who's excluded cannot request the waiver. The waiver ha request has to come from an administrator of a health, uh, a federal or state health care program, uh, in order and uh, to to allow a waiver to go forward because that that administrator has to justify why there should be a waiver in that particular case and why those are essential services that need to be provided through the excluded provider. And as I mentioned, reinstatement is not automatic once the exclusion period ends. Uh, you need, if you're an excluded provider, you need to request permission to participate again in a federal health care program and you have to receive authorized notice from the OIG that your request for reinstatement has been granted. Until that time, even if your exclusion period has been served, if you don't have reinstatement authority, you are still uh, claims for services provided by you are still tainted. There is a process for self-disclosure under many of the uh, federal uh, fraud and abuse uh, statutes. Um, there is encouragement for providers identifying their own problems and concerns and coming forward through a self-disclosure protocol. And the LEIE is no exception. There is a self-disclosure uh, protocol that encourages providers to come forward and disclose um, a, perhaps a, an, a, an improper relationship or the employment of an uh, excluded individual and to resolve the CMP, potential CMP liability up front. Now, the benefits of doing that are that you um, show the government that you do have a robust compliance program. You found your own uh, problem and you came forward accordingly and it could help you avoid a corporate integrity agreement or it helps mitigate the uh, potential penalties, and you could uh, potentially avoid a very expensive and invasive and, frankly, disruptive investigation when you come forward with your own uh, uh, claim or your, your own disclosure of potential um, misconduct. The downside is there are no guarantees. Um, simply because you come forward doesn't mean that the government is waiving its ability to sanction you or is waiving its ability to uh, sanction you at the highest levels. But in general, uh, it does, the government will look on f uh, favorably on someone who comes forward and acknowledges um, their own uh, wrongdoing and also offers to reimburse the government for any wrongful um, uh, reimbursement claims for which uh, the provider was paid. I've included in the um, PowerPoint presentation the, uh, a link to accessing the self-disclosure protocol, if anyone's of, uh, interested in that. Other sources of LEIE guidance, um, the uh, Office of Inspector General has um, updated its special advisory bulletin on the effects of ex exclusion. The original bulletin came out in 1999. It was updated in May of last year, and it gives a lot of helpful guidance on the exclusion program and providers' obligations to uh, periodically screen to make sure that their providers are not excluded. There are also video podcasts on the um, OIG website. 
There's a process for uh, requesting an advisory opinion um, from the OIG if there's a particular circumstance that is questionable and that is arguable either way. Uh, providers will often go to the uh, OIG to request guidance on their specific situation. The advisory opinions are limited to the specific facts that are presented uh, to them in the uh, advisory opinion request. So they don't necessarily generally apply to providers across the board, but they are helpful to give you some guidance as to how the OIG might view a, a particular circumstance. You can also get guidance in special fraud alerts that are uh, published periodically. And of course, uh, the folks at First Healthcare Compliance can give you additional guidance on uh, the LEIE and uh, how, in screening tools that are available. So thank, that concludes my presentation. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, this is a very helpful information on the LEIE. Uh, her information is here on the screen. And you can also contact us at First Healthcare Compliance. Thank you.